you know, I'm just so thankful for this family. I'm just so thankful for this body and what God is doing in our lives. In spite of everything that's going on in the world, you know, you know what? Today is the happiest day of my life. You know what? Because today I know him better than I did yesterday. And you know what? Tomorrow is going to be the happiest day of my life because tomorrow I'm going to know him better than I did today. And when you can live from that perspective and you can live from that reality, no matter what's going on in the world, you, uh, things will not crush you and things will not bring you down. But you only begin to continue to thrive just like uh, a plant that's uh, planted in good soil. Amen? You know, I just thought... With having the kids up here, I just felt like, man, that it's going right along with what the Lord shared on my heart today. It's really, ultimately, it's coming as a child. You know, um, I think it was parents that brought their children um, before Jesus, and the disciples got in, indignant and were like, no, 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 don't touch him or something, like he's too holy or something. But, you know, Jesus said, you must come as a child to receive the kingdom of God. And it's so important that we don't lose that heart of a child, that when we come to God, we come as a child. We don't come with all of our intellectual thinking and all our ways and things that we've figured out, but we come simply with a heart that believes. And if we can understand that, we will we'll continue to grow in this life. And so the title of my message today is Lift Up Your Eyes. You know, Jesus often would say, um, you hear it, it's, it's actually said a few times, he talks to his disciples, he's talking to Pharisees, he says, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You have ears to hear, but you don't hear, for, the heart, for your hearts have grown calloused. And so he's, he's making, obviously they can see with their natural eyes and they can hear, with their natural ears, but what he's saying is there's your, your, the spiritual eyes of your heart, they're not seeing the way I see. The ears that I'm hearing from, you're not hearing, or else you would understand. And he, and he brings it to the hardness of heart. And so, you know, something about a child is they carry a, an innocence in their heart. And for us to grasp the things of God and for us to be able to hear the spoken words of the very Jesus we have to have a heart like a child that's innocent, right? The world trains us in so many different ways and things in this world try to take away that innocence from us. And that doesn't mean that you're so childlike that you can, you know, you're just learning your ABCs. It just means that you come from a place of innocence, believing as a child believes. And so the, I'm going to read John 4.35 and this is Jesus speaking, just to set up the context of this verse. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples after he encounters the woman at the well. A lot of you might be familiar with the story that he's on his way. He's leaving uh, the southern part of Israel called Judea, and he's heading towards Galilee, which is the north side of the country. And in between... Um, Galilee and uh, Judea is the area of Samaria. And if you're familiar with any historical background of the area of Samaria, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And one of the reasons why the Jews hated the Samaritans was because the Samaritans, they intermarried with foreigners and were basically bringing in 
other uh, worship of idols and things like that, because when you intermarry, you're bringing in their culture. And so it was, it, the Jews felt like the Samaritans were defiling, you know, the very culture that God had instilled in the Jewish people. And so often, historically, what a lot of people would do, uh, especially pe- people of prestige and reputation, is you didn't go through Samaria. You went around Samaria. And sometimes going around Samaria would take even a day or two longer. And Jesus, instead of going around Samaria, how many of you know there's bad neighborhoods sometimes? <laughs> and, and a lot of people go around those neighborhoods. But Jesus is a type of Jesus, a type of Savior, a type of Messiah, a type of leader that doesn't go around things that are scary. He goes head into them. Because he sees, a, he sees something that we don't see. He hears something that we don't hear. And so he goes in, he meets the woman at the well. This woman's at the well at the time of noon, which is an unusual time to be going. She's alone. It was culturally for women to be the ones that go get water. She's out there alone because she doesn't want to be with people. And Jesus ministers very powerful words to her, saying, you know, I have water that you need of, water that you don't know of, that I have. And so Jesus ministers to this woman and says, and the woman, is, it's funny, the woman says, he told me everything I've ever did, and she's excited about it. <laughs> you know, I just thought that is interesting. Her evangelistic tool is going to a group of people and say, hey, he told me everything I've ever done. I'm like, Jesus, don't tell them that. <laughs> But because the reason that she could say that with excitement is because she carried, he carried a heart of sincerity. He saw the person and he didn't judge the person for where they've been. Amen. He said, where's your husband? She said, I have no husband. But he said, oh, you, but you've had five. And the one that you're with is not currently your husband. He said, oh, you must be a prophet. You must know. And she tries to derail him from getting to really getting to the source of really where she is at her heart. This woman is pleading for value. This woman's pleading to, to see herself worthy. And, she, and, and he comes and she says, well, if the Messiah came, then I'd believe him. He said, he's here. Now go and tell people. And so as this is happening, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Say, lift up your eyes. eyes. And look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Now, this is not, I'll go ahead and qualify where I'm going. This is not just with the times that we're in. Because I feel like this Scripture is true whether we're living in the most peaceful times or the most treacherous times. The harvest is always ripe. Since Jesus has come, it's not about what's going on in this world. It's about people's hearts are always wanting the gospel because there's lost people all around. You know, we had children come up here, and I really want to stress this point. That, you know, because we're teaching our two-and-a-half-year-old, we're teaching her to share the gospel. We're teaching her to share Jesus. Hey, you want I Summer, I just want to make sure you know that Jesus loves you, and you can share that love with other kids, because she's going back into a, 
into um, a sitting program where she gets watched. And, you know, she, she was just telling us the other day, because we tell her I, a lot of times at night, I tell her, you know, when she's going to bed, hey, I just want you to know that Jesus is with you. And he loves you. And you have nothing to be afraid of. And she, as she told us the other day, she said, Mommy, she was telling my wife, she said, I told this girl that was going through something or scared, she says, I told her that Jesus was with her. Amen. And then we have, we're teaching her how to, you know, pray for others who need him. If there's a kid who's just scraped his leg and he's got boo, we go tell her, hey, you want to go pray for their boo-boo? She's like, okay, I, all right, I'll do it. And a lot of people think, man, a lot of pressure. If, if you see it as a pressure, we're seeing it wrong. Because it's not about a pressure, it's about privilege. I'm going to mess with you. Yeah, he's going to mess with me. So. <laughs> each other. That's a lot better. Yeah, I can actually hear myself. It's not about pressuring our children or each other you know, as some kind of evangelistic tool, hey, to go share your faith. And I'm going to explain why a lot of times we hear things like that and we end up getting condemned by it or shrinking back from what we really believe because it feels like a pressure. But I'm telling you, it's a privilege. And when you understand the, the difference, you're not an employee for God. You're a son. Yeah. You're a daughter. It's a big difference when you look at it. Like, you don't have to share your faith. Like, you don't have to do anything for God. You have the privilege as a child and a son and a daughter to represent the King of Kings. Listen, I'm telling you, there's nothing more rewarding than just losing yourself and being so caught up in yourself and giving yourself to somebody. And one of the biggest ways that you can give yourself to somebody is lift up your eyes and see. Right? You know, yesterday, you know, there was a woman. We're going to get gas. We're on a way. We're, we have, we have a, an agenda. We have going about our day. And there's a woman parked beside the gas where we're getting gas. It's as you go. And she's sitting there. This is evangelism. This is sharing your faith. How are you doing? <laughs> Sincerely. How are you doing? How, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And if it goes nowhere else beyond that, it's not a big deal. Don't beat yourself up. But you'd be surprised if you're genuine and authentic and you actually, and you actually come to a place and growing in where you are that we just have a sincere care for people, that there are thousands of opportunities every day. And I will say, you know, more than just a mission field out there when you walk out these doors, your biggest mission field at all times is your family. Every day, you, we have the opportunity. And they may be saved, they may, you know, all that. But we're, there's a lot more for us to be walking in. And if we can show the genuine, authentic, unconditional love of Jesus being displayed through our actions and through our lives, then, man, we can, they can rise even further. We can grow and be transformed and go from glory to glory. Don't you want your children to go from glory to glory? Yeah. Instead of bummer to bummer. Yes. Amen. Especially in times like this, this can be the greatest time of our life. Despite everything that's going on in the world. And I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of 
There's people without jobs. There's people without work. There's people struggling. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Absolutely. But the Lord is our confidence. That's right. Amen. And we can dwell safely. And that doesn't mean that, you know, our ducks are always going to be in a row. It doesn't mean that our ducks will always be in a row. But he's faithful. And he doesn't change. Even when we change, he doesn't change. Man, that is such good news. That he doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. That if I change, he stays the same. That means I don't ever have to lose hope in, in his character and lose hope in who he is. I, that's why it talks about in Romans 5.5 5, that hope does not disappoint. Hope never disappoints because our hope is a confident expectation in who God has revealed himself to be through the perfect representation of Jesus Christ. And when we look at him and we see him and we see how he, see how he sees and hear how he hears, hope will not be deferred and our heart will not be made sick. So, you know, when he, it was interesting when he set, uses this... Um, word lift up your eyes you know i looked up this word and it one of the word pictures here is to hoist up a sail so when you think about lifting up your eyes you're you're hoisting up a sail so that you can begin to have momentum and movement in your life if we're wondering why we're stuck lift up your eyes stand. lift up your eyes stand see how he sees so what could be hindering the disciples from seeing the way Jesus sees? You could say filters, belief systems, perspectives, judgments. So again, the social climate of Samaria was, you know, where the Jews um, hated the Samaritans. And there was this social clash. You know, I feel like we, we all feel it. There is there's something in the air socially between and, and, and our different ideas, different beliefs, the politics of all that. There is a social, there's a social distance. <laughs> Imagine that. No pun intended. There's something in the air. But Jesus sees in despite of this going on between people and people seeing differently. He sees, lift up your eyes and see. The harvest is ripe. Despite the differences and despite what's going on and despite the tension that's going on in this country right now and across the world, lift up your eyes and see. The harvest is ripe. And so I believe I'm going to share a stronghold. And I'll talk about what a stronghold is, but I first want to sh share the stronghold, and then we'll go back to it. It says, this is the stronghold. This is, man, this is changing my life on how it's transforming my life. It's, it's hoisting up my cell. It's helping me lift up my eyes to see. It's helping me be able to hear as Jesus hears. And it's this, we hear, we often hear and see from where we are not, instead of where we can go. Often when we hear truth, we hear from where we're not instead of what Jesus is inviting us into. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really go into that, but first I want to identify, I believe this is a stronghold. 
And I explain what a stronghold is. It's, this is 2 Corinthians 10.4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So our warfare, that we, if we're going to war in this life, it's not carnal. It's not by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. It's not by that. It, that's what it means, carnal. It doesn't mean sinful. It just means of the five senses. It means that we're not warring based upon what we see. It, we're not warring what we see on Facebook. We're not warring on what, whatever uh, you know, platform is being established or anything like that. We're not warring against politicians. We're not warring against that. Our warfare is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Amen. So what's a stronghold? You know, just a simple definition of a stronghold is a castle or a fortress. Uh, another definition is anything on which one relies, something that we put our trust in. Um, it says this, of the arguments and reasoning by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against the opponent. So a lot of times we have strongholds. These are things that we have fortified in our minds for several different reasons. One reason is to protect ourselves, right? To protect our opinions, to protect our rightness, to protect all those things of what we've been taught, traditions, things that your grandma told you. You know, there's all these th different things that we have built strongholds. We build strongholds from hurt. We build strongholds from all kinds of different things. Amen. You know, I was thinking about, so an example of that is, you know, when Joshua is going into the promised land, they go, show up to a fortified city. It's called uh, Jericho, and there's the walls of Jericho. And I think it's just an illustration. It's not carnal. Because if you know what Joshua did to bring these walls down, it would make completely no sense at all. He tells his army, he tells his army, hey, I don't want you to speak a word. Don't open your mouth. And each day I want you to walk around the city. Each day I want you to walk around. And then on the seventh day, you'll walk around the city seven times, and then you will shout with a loud voice and a triumph. And that will be the first time that Joe... Can anybody be silent for seven days? <laughs> that would be hard, right? And this was a very fortified city, a very fortified fortress, full of giants, full of people that looked way bigger than them. And God says, the battles, I'm going to fight your battles. If you yield to me and trust in me, I will fight your battles. But we can't do it through the five senses. We can't do it carnally. And so he gives them the, the craziest uh, war advice. You know, walk around the city. And on the seventh day, they, they shouted. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of them were very cynical. This is not going to work. <laughs> you know, be real. You know, they had to be thinking, this is, man, Joshua is cuckoo. He's crazy. <laughs> but they did it, and the walls came tumbling down. And so when we understand to hear from this perspective, when we learn to see like Jesus sees, hear like Jesus hears, there are a lot of walls that will come down. Amen. Amen. To lead us into a land 
that God has provided everything. You know, that's, that's, that's where we live right now. Grace is what God has provided. God has provided everything that we would ever need through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right. And faith, what faith is, faith is our response. It's a positive response to what God has already done. Yes. If we don't put faith in what he's done, then we'll never access or grab a hold of anything that he's provided. You could literally die next to the well that God has provided in your life. You could die just, you're thirsty, but you're not pulling it out. You're not going, you're not pulling that water out. And so God is, God is saying, here, I'm the living water. Here, I'm, I came to give you life more abundantly. It's the enemy that comes to still kill and destroy but Jesus said, I come to give life abundantly. And so that's a stronghold. So examples of how we hear and see where we are not as opposed to what Jesus is inviting us into, just the simple fact of what I just said, the promise of a transformed life. We hear the promise of a transformed life, and we hear from where we're not as opposed to what Jesus is inviting us into. And when we hear from that place, again, it causes us to shrink back and withhold ourselves because we think, oh, man, I just, I just can never reach that goal. I can never reach that, that to the top of this mountain of this transformed life. I hear all this truth that the Word says that it says. Another one is the promise of being free from sin. We hear that promise. And what do we do? We look at our lives and we, we do an inventory of all the sin in our lives. But Jesus, God doesn't want us to see where we're not. He wants to see us what we're being invited into. That he says, you've been made dead to sin. Either the word of God is true or there's something that we don't understand. Right? Right? Right. And so there's a truth that says we are dead to sin. Dead from it. Means it doesn't have to have dominion, power, and control over our life. But that can sound really really challenging. And we don't want to escape from, from ministering the truths of the Bible because it, in our own hearts, it brings us to a place where we feel like we're not instead of Jesus is saying, hey, walk into my life. Walk into the light. Amen. A lot of people are scared of the light because we don't know the character of God. We don't understand and we have to know, to understand any of this, we have to be established in the love of God. Like, I, this, is, this is truth. And if we don't understand, if we don't, if we don't live there, if we don't dwell in the words of Christ, where we make it our home, it says, let the words of Christ dwell in your hearts. That dwelling that's making it a home. It's not just a camping. It's not just a vacation. But it's somewhere we live. It's somewhere where we move all of our stuff in. Amen. Right? We moved uh, recently. And, you know, it would be like paying rent at the place that we moved from and playing, paying rent at the place that we're at. Why would we do that? And we do that all the time in our lives. We pay rent for an old life that's been gone by our mindsets, by our belief systems, by the way that we're seeing and hearing things. We continue to live in the old when the brand new has come. It says we're a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 
Either, either the word is true or we don't understand. And so that's why we look to him. We come as a child, innocent in heart, wanting to believe. Another example, a promise of being free from shame and guilt. We hear that and think, no, that, that's just you. That, you went too far now, right? That's impossible. You're always going to live with shame and guilt. Not I. Amen. And I'm not saying I've arrived, but I've left. Amen. Something doesn't have to not be true if it's not in the fullness of it. You understand? Like we're in a process of going from glory to glory, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. A lot of people are, we get incredibly cynical of people when they ex have an expression of faith that says, you know what, I believe this, and, I be and, I, and I'm walking in a level of reality in this, in my own life. I'm, bringing, I'm being free from self-consciousness, being free from sin consciousness. Amen. There's so much freedom in that, because right. when you're free from that, you can actually truly live as a son. You know, I give this, you know, there, so there's other, there's other examples. I won't take the time to go into this, but healing. We hear the promise of healing. And it's God's will to heal every time. That it's provided on the cross. It's very clear in Scripture that it's His will to heal. But we live in this world, and there's things that we don't understand. There's, you know, man... And we can judge where we're not instead of what Jesus is inviting us into. Uh -huh. Prosperity. You know, that's a promise. You don't have to make it all about prosperity. It's not the point. But God wants you to be blessed. He, he, the blessing of Abraham. Amen. We're in that inheritance. God wants us to be blessed. Not so you can get all that you can get, so that you can be a giver. Amen. Give me a break. It's about being blessed so we can be a blessing to others. Yeah. The promise of deliverance. There's things that we need to be delivered from. It's a promise. God has provided deliverance through his finished work. I'll just give you a practical example of my own life. I'm listening to Psalm 119. And if you're familiar with Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm in the Bible. And it's become one of my favorite psalms to listen to. And I have this app that's called Dwell. I recommend you checking that out. It's a, you have to pay for it. But what it does is it puts it on, some of you have heard me talk about this app, but you can just put it, a chapter on repeat. Man, I'll listen to Psalm 19 for like two or three hours while I'm working. And I have that privilege, and I'm thankful for that. But there's one day, usually I listen to Psalm 119, I just feel like Superman, you know, feel good. And there's one day I'm listening to Psalm 119, and... Um, I'm starting to feel this underlying kind of condemnation, right? Not feeling like I'm measuring up or there's something missing in my life. And I was just looking at um, this psalm, and the word with my whole heart is used six times in that psalm. I thought that was pretty, that was pretty tremendous that it's used six times. So what was happening in my heart, was I was hearing something that usually would encourage me. For whatever reason, whatever is going on in my life in this moment, I'm listening. And then the more I'm listening, the more I'm feeling condemned. The more I'm feeling like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. 
And the Lord spoke to my heart. Because you listen to something for two or three hours, you're like, I'm feeling condemned. Why why do I keep listening to this thing? You know, you don't want to do that. And so I'm like, okay, this is weird. You know, uh, this, that's why it's good to know the voice of the Lord, to know your shepherd, because you know that's a stranger's voice. And so then you identify it, and it comes up, and you're like, this condemnation is not from God. I'm listening to the word. This isn't from God. The Lord's like, you're listening to this psalm from where you're not instead of what I've invited you into. He says, this is who you already are. In your, in your spirit, you've been perfected, made whole. You're, you're perfect in your spirit. You look just like Jesus. Molecule for molecule. Your DNA looks exactly like Jesus in your spirit. We have to understand that. What we do is we search our soul, we search our emotions, we search our feelings, we search our body and our five senses about everything's going on in the world to try and find truth. But God wants us to look inward and look at the new man. Look at the new creation. Look at who God has made us to be. And that's the place that we live from. See, when you live from that position, see, if I'm positioned over here, living from my soul in my body in my five senses, how many of you know if I'm positioned right here, I may not be able to see something right there. But if I, if I move over here, I position myself, I can see it now. And so God wants us to position ourselves. And the only way that we can position ourselves is that first and foremost, begins with understanding the love of God. See, we can try to make it happen, make it work. We can try formulas, which we all do. (laughs) Something works one time, we try it again. It says there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. Man, that's so true right now. There's opinions and rights that are so elevated, so high, but it's leading to death. It talks about in Proverbs, it talks about, uh, it talks about and the wicked, the ungodly, they set a trap, but they end up in their own trap. They end up in their own snare. I don't want to set a trap and end up in my own snare. <laughs> that doesn't sound very wise. And so you can hear truth as I was hearing Psalm 119. And you can hear it from where you're not instead of what Jesus is inviting you into. And when you can hear it from that ear, you're going to go from glory to glory. Amen. There's no turning back. There, you're no longer afraid of the light. Because, you know, the thing about light is it exposes darkness. It doesn't mean that we're dark. We still go back to who we are in spirit. But there's motives, there's thoughts, there's things that don't belong in our soul. See, God wants our whole being to be sanctified. Spirit, soul, and body, our whole part. We could just just couch and live on, you know, our spirits made new and clean and perfect. And that's an amazing truth and it will change your life. But if we want to see, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is ripe. Our whole being must be sanctified in truth. That's where renewing your mind to be transformed by the word of God. 
So we get what's in our spirit to flow into our soul, our emotions, our motives, into the rest of our whole being. And when we do that, man, I'm telling you, amazing things. These signs shall follow those who believe. The things of God should follow us, not be a, a precursor. I mean, they sh shouldn't be something we try to make happen. They follow us. The goodness of God follows us. Right. You know, the, the goodness of God that brings men into repentance, a change of mind, a change of direction. Right. You know, it's not just a message. It's a life lived. It's, a, it's an expression of what we believe. It's an expression of the goodness of God as being poured out to me, to that woman that's right next to the gas pump. And I'm able just to say, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm trying to figure out how to fix my car right now because I work these really long shifts at the hospital and I'm doing all the testing and I'm doing all these things and I barely have any time to even fix my car or do anything. And it's just the perfect opportunity. It's a setup. Jesus loves the setup. The setup, the setup never comes if we don't see the person for who, how God sees them. And I just began to minister her, minister to her, just tell her how loved she was, and just, just I just began declaring strength over her life, and just thanking her for her being willing to serve and be there, and going through what she's going through. And I just, I, you know, a lot of times I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just loving them, Amen. encouraging them. And she said, everything you're saying, my son would be laughing right now. She said, because he, he keeps telling me the same thing. And I said, man, that's a confirmation. And, you know, you know when someone's sincere, she's like thanking. She said, she kept saying, please tell your wife and, and your kids that are in the car, thank you so much for, for, for them letting you, <laughs> letting you talk to me. Because she's, she's, she's somebody who understands that we all have a life to live. We got agendas. But man, Jesus, man, he takes the time. And obviously that can be abused. Listen, I abuse it <laughs> sometimes. I end up gone for an hour to go get gas. And it's very good. Okay. Um, if we hear the gospel and it doesn't cause us to say in our hearts that this is too good to be true news, then we're probably hearing amiss. You know, we should hear the gospel. And honestly, if we're hearing it from the right ear and seeing it from the right eyes, it should cause us in our hearts to say, this is too good to be true. There is no way this is possible. You know, the, these words are echoed in Isaiah 53 from the prophet Isaiah. He says, who will believe this report? Who? That's how I hear it. Who will believe this report? Talking about what Jesus would go through, that he would bear, bore our griefs and he would carry our sorrows. That he would make us the righteousness of God through what he would go through. And it says, to whom will the Lord of the arm be revealed? Point to your arm. That's your power. The, the, God's power. How is he going to reveal his power? He's going to reveal his power and his strength through his son Jesus dying on a cross for us and being raised again. 
That's where the power of the Lord is revealed. And in that life that he lived and he died and he was raised, that is our life. It says that we were buried with him and now we've been raised with him. I think a lot of times we're just living from the buried part. But God wants us to be raised with him in brand new life. And again, we can't hear that from where we're not. Man, praise God, there's an invitation. There's an invitation for us to walk in resurrection life. Not do this inventory of everywhere that we're missing it. The love of God comes in and it breaks condemnation. Condemnation is what judges something. Jesus was judged on our behalf. There's no longer any reason for us to live in condemnation. We've been freed from it. No longer, it talks about in Hebrews 10, no longer to have a a consciousness after sin. Does that mean we're going to live perfect? Does that mean, Paul says so many different times, am I saying you can just go live in sin? And we hear it all the time. No. That should be the response if we're preaching the gospel. People should say, are you saying I can just go live in sin? No, you don't understand what he's done. You don't understand the privilege of sonship. You don't understand the the amazing gift that we've been given. So truth tears down strongholds. You know, not the thing that tears down those belief systems, those fortresses, those castles is truth. There are a lot of great ministries and a lot of great things. And sometimes there's a time for that. I'm not against, if you know what I'm saying. But ultimately what's going to break down a stronghold in our lives is truth. It's going to be truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. So I want to read this. This is Matthew 9, 16 through 17. And we're talking about, remember, we're talking about tearing down this. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to tear this stronghold down. We're going to march around the city seven times. It says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and and the tear is made worse nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And honestly, for a long time, this was just, this was Hebrew to me. I didn't understand really what Jesus was saying when he, I understood, you know how you can understand something from what you've been taught? You, you, like, you know the answer, right? But you don't have a revelation of it in your heart. It doesn't, you're like, I, un- I know the answer, but it still doesn't make sense why the answer is the answer, right? Yes. And that's why we need revelation for God to speak that truth to us and enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can see truth. Amen. And so, and so the, this to me, the clearest, yes, it's, you can't put the new covenant, what Jesus has done, into the old covenant, right? And the reason, the simplest way to put this is because it's a change in relationship. 
You can't put the way that God related to us in the old and try to put it in the new, right? You can't live as an employee and then try to live as a son. You can't do it. It doesn't mix. It doesn't work. When you try to live from that mindset, it creates frustration. I think that's what it's talking about. If we try to put in the old into the new, it busts the wineskins. It frustrates. Paul said, I don't frustrate the grace of God. I don't set aside righteousness. Because in the old, righteousness was by, by your works. Righteousness was by what you did. But the new is we have a righteousness that comes by faith and believing what Jesus has done for us. Amen. It changes everything. It changes old motives, old thought patterns, old things that were in our life before that we lived in before we got saved and trying to bring them into the new. We can't do it. And that's why we're so frustrated. We're trying to live from a place of living from our soul and our body instead of living in the newness of the spirit. And it's not like this weird mystical thing. It's just, it's just having ears that hear and eyes that see how Jesus sees, to see that the harvest is ripe for harvest. If that made any sense, I don't know. But it's a change in relationship. Now I want to read Galatians 1.4. It says, Now that I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. This is talking about the law. The law was given. It was just like it was, there was an inheritance there right? Through, that was promised, if you just read a few verses before, talks about this inheritance was given by Abraham and that it's through the seed of Christ, right? We, Clint preached on it last week, I think. And it talks about stewards until the appointed time by the Father. That appointed time is when Jesus would come. And it says, even so we we were, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. Redeem means to purchase from the power of another. Hallelujah. See, before Christ came, we were under the power of this world, the God of this world. But when we give our lives to him and we believe upon his name and when we surrender our lives to him and make him Lord, he changes everything. He redeems us from the old way and brings us into the new that we might receive the adoption as sons because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his Son, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Amen. You know your heart right now, if you have said yes to Jesus and you're a new creation, your heart at this very second, this very moment, is crying out, Abba, Father. Amen. Whether you feel it, whether you see it, whether it's a reality in your heart and your mind, it's the truth. Because when His Spirit comes into you, it's crying out. Abba, Father, Daddy, 
The relationship has changed. We have new wine to put into new wineskins. It says, verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So listen to this. It's not debt, it's inheritance. See, when we live under the pressure, again, of what I was talking about before, earlier, when we live from the position or the perspective of we gotta, where we're not, as opposed to what Jesus is inviting us into, we're living from a place of debt. We're living from a place of feeling like we owe it to God because of what He's done for us. Listen, there's no way you could ever pay God back. There's no way we could do anything that even comes up close. But when we live from the place of inheritance, how many of you want inheritance over debt? Like, I mean, just real, like debt doesn't feel good, does it? Feels bad. It's constantly weighing you down. It's constantly feeling like, oh, one day, one day the debt will be cleared and I'll be free. I think I, think I heard it said that uh, culturally, if somebody had a debt, it was actually posted to their door of their home. So everybody knew that person was in debt. Listen, the thing that's been posted on your door has been removed. The handwritings of requirements that was against us, Colossians talks about, has been wiped clean. No longer keeping a record of our wrongs. That's love. And God is love. And we're made in the image of love. So it's no longer living from a place of owing God It's a place of, I'm a son. I have an inheritance. You know, the lost son, the prodigal son, he had everything, everything he would ever need, and he took his inheritance, and he became a lost son because he didn't really understand what he really had all along. I mean, the father was good all along. He returned. The father was looking a long way off for his son to return. And the father never brought up all his failures, all his shortcomings. He tried to come with his speech. He tried. He said, he's writing it down. Oh, that's not going to work. I'm going to throw that away. I'm going to try and write something else. Oh, I got it. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And he had his speech prepared. And when he came to the father, the father didn't even acknowledge it. Because he wasn't a slave. He was a son. You know, Jesus didn't come to just die for us to save, to save us as sinners. Jesus died for us because we were lost sons and daughters. And when you understand that, that's not blasphemy. That's God saw our original value in the garden before sin ever entered the world. And God wants us to restore us back into that place. We're not living under debt, but we're living from inheritance. See, a lot of times when we hear debt, we hear responsibility. And God wants to change it from responsibility to privilege. So anytime you feel like you have a responsibility, and that's not a bad word, but it's seeing from a different eye. It's hearing from a different ear that it's a privilege. We have the privilege. It's not just a responsibility because responsibility can be a work, but privilege is a grace. Okay. 
how much, I have five minutes. All right, so there's a new way to see Philippians 3. And Paul said this, he said this, and I think I just could hear people saying, well, Paul, he's saying you got it all together. You're saying you got all this figured out, you know. And they're hearing for where they're not as opposed to what Jesus is inviting them into. So Philippians 3 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, like he's saying I haven't arrived, but I've left, but I press on to make it my own. You want to make it your own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one Say one thing. One thing thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is the new eyes that we see from. We never lived from yesterday. And of course, there'll be consequences for the way that we treat each other and relate to each other, of course. But as far as how we relate to God, absolutely. His mercies are brand new every day. We can't live from yesterday. As long as we're living from yesterday, we're staying stuck where we are. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. He says, let those of us who are mature, this is mature thinking, to think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And you're thinking, man, well, that was kind of like, only let us hold true to what we have attained. I Go read Philippians 3 before these verses I just read and hear what he says that we have attained. Resurrection life. A brand new life. It's all in there. It talks about the life that we've been given now. Say, that's not a small thing that we've attained. So this is my practical application. Don't wait for the right weather to plant your seed. A lot of times we want to wait till all the conditions are right. Make sure the moisture is in there. This is not golf, folks. (laughs) This is the kingdom. And when we plant the seed in any circumstance, in any condition, it will bear fruit. It just will. We can't, we can't shrink back to plant when times, whatever's going on in this world, and we're living real life, you know, we could walk out these doors and face all kinds of opportunities and opposition. But when we hear from this perspective of not hearing from where we're not as opposed to what Jesus is inviting into, when those things come up, instead of falling back or getting scared or getting fearful, it's an opportunity for us to grow in intimacy and relationship with the Lord. Amen. You know, it says Jesus said the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's that. Oh, Jesus is coming. And Jesus is like... <laughs> If you only knew what you're going to try and tempt me with and try to throw at me is only going to propel me further into relationship and intimacy with my Father. Listen, God is not the author 
of God. It's not the author of putting us through trials and circumstances and testing. But in this world, we live in this world, there will be trials, there will be testing. And if we have these, these, the right lens on and have the right ears hearing, then when storms come, it only propels us further into the truth. Listen, you're going to try and poke me, I'm only going to go further into the truth. You're going to come at me? No, don't talk to the devil like that. Well, I don't really talk to him anyways. It would be a waste of time. So my practical application is to pick one chapter in the Bible that you feel your heart gravitates towards and put it on repeat. Just live there, dwell there. You know, you may not, you may not know, but just go somewhere and just live there. There's not, there's not a law, there's not anything. Remember, you're not hearing from where you're not. You're hearing for where Jesus is inviting into you. And you just let that truth, you know, there's a truth on my heart, Philippians 2. I've been living there this entire year. And I was like, I thought I was going to preach that today. But he's like, that's your, that, you know, sometimes God gives us things and it ain't even for the body. If you understand what I'm saying, it's a, it's a jewel, it's a treasure, you know, and, it's, and, and I'm just finding it so rewarding in my life that my time and my relationship with the Lord as a minister, I'm never reading the word or never trying to grow to try and have something to, up here to share with you. I still got my jewels. I still got my treasures hidden in my heart. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this today. Go ahead and stand up with me. To lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is ripe. See with the eyes that Jesus sees in the midst of everything that's going on in this world. Just make a decision right now. Father, I want to I see like you see. I want to hear like you hear. Because I see a world. I see my family. I see my spouse. I see the people that are all around me. The people that are closest to me. I'm no longer, I'm making a decision. Right now, if you want to make that decision, just make that decision in your heart. It's very important. Make this a day, a point of contact in your life to where you're making a decision. You're not making a decision to where you're never going to make a mistake. You're never going to fall short or anything like that. But you're just making a decision that I'm not going to live from the place of where I'm not. And I'm going to hear and see it from what Jesus is inviting me into. So, Father, we just thank you for that. We just thank you that you're faithful. We just thank, we're just so thankful that you are good. God, we just yield to you. God, you see. God, you see us, God. I just thank you for that love, God. The love of God would be such a strength and such an anchor in our lives 
understand the gospel and understand the privilege and the inheritance that we can walk in as your sons and daughters. Amen. Amen.